Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Ashland University's Professional Learning Podcast. This is your host, Dr. David Silverberg. Joining us today are Dr. Alicia Monroe and Julie Peterson, co-authors of the article Affirming Student Success, which was published in the National Association of Colleges and Employers Journal, August 2020. Alicia is the Assistant Director of the Office of Career Advancement at Rowan University in New Jersey where she created and implements the Rowan First Star STEAM Academy. Julie is the Director of Student Enrichment and Family Connections at Rowan University and is the creator and coordinator of the Aspire Leadership Development Experience. So welcome to us to our show here. Thank you, David. Thank you. Well, tell us what you're doing um, at Rowan to support kids as they move from eighth grade through the university and beyond. The Rowan First Star STEAM Academy was established in 2015-2016. It is a pathway, an educational pathway program for scholarship and college and career achievement that are dis- that was designed by me in working with uh, the coordinators and directors of First Star Incorporated to really meet the needs of underserved students. We're looking at students of trauma, students of poverty, um, students primarily of color, but our students' identities cross many intersections and we needed to better prepare them for the college to career journey. In working with that, as they move into college learning environment, we connect with Julie's program, which is the Aspire Student Leadership Experience to further develop the competencies and skills that our students need to be successful in the workplace and in life overall. Thank you, Alicia. You know, I'm really intrigued by this university school collaboration because as you know, our listeners are primarily school district leaders and from across Ohio and beyond. And and I think it's important that we all think about the present and the future for these kids. I know one of the topics that came up in the article was about transformational as compared to transactional. Can one of you speak to that and help our listeners understand the difference between those terms? This is Julie Peterson. I think Aspire does that well. Aspire's acronym is Achievement, Success, Progress Through Initiative, respect, and excellence. And when we say transformational, there's activities throughout the year that we do with our students. And this organization, our group started in the fall of 1987. And we do different activities that allows them to develop a stronger self-concept, a stronger understanding of their role and purpose, 
And I just recently shared with uh, a team of students and staff, really we are getting to why, their why. Why are they doing the things that they're doing and how does that impact their future? So transformational that you're constantly learning and changing and evolving over the years. So we, throughout the year, they take activities, workshops, lectures, hands-on experience, and do those things, then are assessed at the end, and they do the assessment itself. Where do I see myself going? What other skill sets do I need? And where do I need to be more grounded in? So that's transformational. They look at it and develop a sense of purpose. And that purpose and passion for where they want to be in the next two, five, 10 years. And with Aspire, our track record for graduation has been excellent. Over 700 have gone through the program. I believe we only have, except for the cohort that's here now, only seven students have not graduated from Rowan University. Our students have gone on and received master level um, degrees and terminal degrees. So we are hailing from the PhD, the EDDs, uh, the MDs, and that's giving back. So all of them, once they receive their degrees, they come back and give back. They serve as mentors to our uh, students that are currently here. So it's that constant. I think Dr. Monroe will tell you, we had an honorable judge, juvenile court judge at her class this past Monday and emphasized that he would be willing to mentor any of the students coming through her class because it's that sense of purpose and giving back to the community. Wow, that is incredible success rate. So help me understand, just to make sure we understand if there's anything we're missing here, what is transactional and where does that fall short as compared to transformational in programming? So if we're looking to develop a culture of achievement, particularly for underserved and minoritized populations, we need to look at the human condition more than the exchange, the hard exchange of ideas and pushing through a process that's not necessarily designed for them. We have to really look outside the traditional paradigms of learning because we know that the research dictates and states that we are falling short as educators. I hail from a background of being a pre-K through 20 educator. As you know, David, I moved up from the classroom every step of the way to become an assistant superintendent of schools. And I knew that there was a divide between our students learning through the lens of the different subgroups and how they transitioned through the educational process. Transaction is moving without even understanding outside of high stakes testing, if our students have really not only grasped the concept, but they've increased their social capital. When we're looking at transformational learning, as Julie said, there ha it really has to be purposeful. That means we meet the needs of learning and social growth of each and every learner. And we know that some subgroups consistently fall short, historically fall short in that teaching and learning process. 
I love this one quote from the article and I'm quoting here, the shift starts from the inside out with individuals and the organizational organization intentionally engaging in transformational process to affect change. That takes courage, doesn't it? Absolutely. And that takes us all to a place of discomfort, right? Where we have to be self-engaged in critical conversations and authentic engagement where we are willing to look first at our own personal self-concept and self-agency in order to understand where we are within our perceptions of who we serve. And that takes a lot of coverage. That takes a lot of discomfort. But until we are willing to, you know, take that shift and jump right in and be uncomfortable with these kind of conversations, transformation won't happen. So as I think about you all creating these programs and bringing these programs to life every year at a university setting with school districts, which we all know can lend themselves to be more traditional, conventional in nature, has it been easy? Has it been a challenge? What advice do you have for others out there that might want to do some courageous projects on their end? That's an excellent question. I'm in my fourth term on the school board. I'm the vice president of a school board in uh, Southern New Jersey. And that's interesting. We look at how we can make things different and partnerships with the community and like-minded people will allow you to create different expectations and norms. And you have to have the leadership within that district, school district, to be willing to identify that things need to change. And as we maneuver through these difficult times with the pandemic, you have to look for those individuals that have seen changes and evaluate and assess. So it's a constant evaluation and assessment of what you're doing and how are you doing. So we have to meet the students, as Dr. Monroe said, where they are. And if they are at a certain level, we need to say, what is the expectations and where do they want to go? So it's a partnership, not only with the school district, it's with the community, parents, and the students. So you can see that change and that growth. So it's a difficult task to do it. But when like-minded people come together, you'll be surprised the changes that happen. Thank you, Julie. And I know you mentioned there the pandemic. Have your programs been challenged by the pandemic? And so how have you worked around that or worked your, found your way through that? And are there any positive outcomes? So absolutely. Um, both programs have been impacted by the pandemic, which is the state of education today. So we need to be really creative and innovative and how we engage our students. And I am very particular in using the term engagement. As we move our students from self-efficacy to self-authorship, we have to understand the importance of empowering their voice. And in gaining that information from actually having conversations with our students, we realized number one, that they wanted both programs to continue to go on regardless of if we were not face-to-face, which is a key component of each program because it's all about building relationships and healthy rapport. We transitioned both programs onto 
a virtual platform. The format and the curriculum looked a little different. So instead of having a six week immersion over the summer, which is the first star norm, we actually had workshop series, a workshop series over two weeks. However, there were considerable discrete class sessions where we were evaluating students' performance. There were deliverables and assignments that were due through Google Classroom. We were monitoring students' performance. We met through Zoom. So what we did was develop our own lexicon of virtual platforms that we actually trained our staff on as well as our students on so they could maneuver through the virtual platforms to really engage wholly in the learning experience. That's a lot of change in a short period of time, isn't it? Right. And it worked well, honestly, David, because we developed a rapport with our students and our staff. So they trust the space and they know we're all about that same common goal and that shared vision. So all of us were willing to extend ourselves above and beyond in order to make it happen for our students. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think in the article, you also reference Gen Z, and I'm always intrigued by these generational things. How does that play into supporting or the timeliness of some of the issues that we're seeing with the pandemic or other issues in the world today? And how does that fold into the programs that you two are running? So I'm going to let Julie take this one, but um, Gen Z is, and I study multi-generational engagement around learning right, and multi-generational approaches to what that process is as part of my research. And Gen Z is beautifully unique as we approach 2026, where the U.S. Census says that the majority of our population will identify as diverse. It is really uh, important for us to look at the, the traditional norms and know that the status quo won't work because more of the same will get us more of what we already got. And my mother always said that. And I know that's not the not grammatically correct, all right? However powerful within itself as an idiom, we really need to understand who we serve and Gen Z. So um, Julie, let's talk about how we've adapted each program to level up to really meet the needs of the Gen Z experience. I think the first thing that we did when uh, with the onset of the pandemic is that we had to develop authentic modes of communicating with our student population. And we did that well with a group me. We check on them. We meet with them. We see assess their um, needs, physical, emotional, and financial needs. So if there's something that we can reach out to them and contribute, we do that. So that's why we have a level of trust. I actually um, mandate that because I'm one that will travel anywhere for our students. So if they say that they need something in terms of the PPE um, materials, we've had excellent results from our alumni that have come out of both programs willing to donate back. So if they said they needed masks, we had the mask, we had the gloves, we had the food. So it's like the sharing. 
giving back. So we have done that. Then we have gone on different platforms because as you know, Gen Z, Facebook is not always the preferred method of communicating. So we have had looked at other platforms and used those platforms in reaching our population. And then we empowered our peer staff to serve as the in-between, to go back and forth to things that they may not say to Dr. Monroe or myself that they would say to them, and then they would contact us. So I think it's the communications line, learning more about what is the appropriate channel for the Gen Z population. Uh, and we have done an excellent job with that. In fact, our peer staff has taught us more about communicating in the past six months than you can imagine. So I think we have a handle on that. And then we actually render workshops that are meaningful, purposeful, and they sometimes, they're engaged at two hours. Sometimes they go over two hours because they're so engaged and it's a creative platform and meeting them. Well, I love that you two are coming from a place of authenticity and that it's built on trust and so many things that we all need today. One of my favorite quotes here is from the article, at a time when social distancing, communicating with others through masks and online, and seeing traumatic images of social injustice, peaceful protests, and civil unrest is now the new normal, we know that we must work we must continue to grow in depth and in breadth. So as you look to the future of these programs, what are your hopes and uh, what advice do you have for, uh, for other district leaders out there uh, across uh, Ohio and beyond? I'm oftentimes asked that particular question. And I, I just wanna say that it's really wonderful to hear what Julie and I wrote kind of recited and it is rewarding. Um, to know that we're making a difference. What I see that is so static as I go into school districts and um, have exchanges on purposeful planning or building best leadership practices or PLCs, or I can, I can literally go on and on or using data to drive instruction. And it is it is so cookie cutter sometimes, right? So it is, you know, it is so very, and I, I don't want to use the term transactional, but it is formula driven. It is logical sequential. It is, um, and I can go on and on because we all know what that is, right? Because as school administrators and school leaders, we definitely um, have to ring the bell, meet the needs, uh, you know, cover whatever deficit, you know, move the students over the bubble. I mean, you know, this, this is our language. Are we really truly meeting the needs of all learners? So this is where we have to go back and, and, and check our own purpose, right? And move into self-reflective space. And what I would like to see more is real opportunity for self-reflection. I hear us talk that thing, okay, and it sounds good, all right, but we don't give space for that. And then we don't give space for all of us who learn differently. Self-reflection, for me, could be a minute. Self-reflection for someone else may take a few days. Self-reflection is key to the critical inquiry and feedback process. And that's the only way that we're going to be able to move forward with constructivist thinking to, to meet the needs of the diverse students that we have. You know, 
all African-American students don't have the same background, okay? What, what are the tables look like? Who's sitting around the table and making these decisions? Is it by title? Or is it by those who really have that connection with the students that we're discussing around the table at that time? I think we're really caught up in hierarchy. I think we're really caught up in, in the politics of education. And a lot of our teachers, and I teach in the College of Education, a lot of our teachers want to get into the practice to teach. They also want to learn. So we really need to think about what is the pedagogy of today as we look at Gen Z learners, okay? What is that multi-generational approach that will really meet the needs of everyone that's sitting in that learning community? We don't ask ourselves that question. And if we do, we don't sit in that discomfort long enough to make integral changes to the process. Boy, that's a powerful invitation for people that have been through so much in these last few months is stepping into discomfort. But I, I know that's how growth happens, isn't it? If we Absolutely. just stay the same, then we're the same. Mm-hmm. Julie, did you want to say anything on that? I think Dr. Moreau said it well. I always go by the phrase, the choice you make today makes you. And when I share that with students or even my colleagues, we need to be very intentional in where we want to see a program or individuals go. So if you're about changing the community, you have to look at where that community is. And assessment is the key to any program. You have to have meaningful. So reflection is a large por- a portion of it. In fact, I asked Dr. Monroe if she would do a blogging session for our college students so that they can start looking at how are uh, the pandemic has altered their thinking, how has it changed their thoughts about themselves and their expectations of where they see themselves. So I think reflection is the key. We have to constantly assess our programs, our strategies, and how we're getting there. And I think that's the most powerful thing because as Dr. Monroe stated, if you still give something the same way, you're going to get more of the same. And that's unfortunate. Even as a psychologist, I'm constantly looking at ways of changing the thought process and how we deliver that change. So for people that want to follow up with you and learn more about your programs and just kind of your courageous orientation to making a difference, what's the best way for them to reach you? I would say by email for me, and I can give you both emails. I will give you my Rowan email, which is Peterson, P-E-T-E-R-S-O-N, at Rowan, R-O-W-A-N dot E-D-U, or my personal email, Peterson. 0501 at gmail.com. Thanks, Julie. So my Gen Zers have made me very contemporary. So they have updated my social media portfolio. So you can reach me via LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram at a Monroe EDD and more my speed via email at Monroe at Rowan.edu. 
Well, thanks very much. This has been very inspiring during a time of tremendous change and uh, helps us direct ourselves to the light of what's possible. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Brought to you by Ashland University, your partner in the future of professional learning. This podcast is intended to cultivate a rich debate. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of Ashland University. This podcast is licensed under Creative Commons. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.